I know, I know Tallahassee, uh, you know, I know they're pretty excited about, you know, the mighty Blue Raiders kicking these Hurricanes tail because we kicked their tail and I ain't afraid to say it. All right, another week, as you can see, the Middle Tennessee Blue Raiders getting things done. Middle Tennessee State, I guess. I should add that Middle Tennessee State. Got to add that for sure. Congrats to their coach. Congrats to their program. What a performance. What a way to kick things off here on a Monday edition of Always College Football. Thanks for being with us. Today is Monday, September 26th. We hope you're enjoying the show wherever you're getting the show. We're glad to be back with you on a Monday, too. After missing last week because of injury slash illness, we're back. All right, We are back to break down the weekend's festivities and what a weekend it was. We have a great game plan to store for you today. By the way, he's Mark Kubiak. I'm Greg McElroy. My brain is still not really like 100%, so just bear with me. There might be some blips in the radar as far as my recollection and like ability to uh, explain things. Uh, for whatever reason, there's like a brain fog that I'm currently dealing with. It's like, it's like when I had COVID two years ago. I don't feel like my brain worked right for a month. Uh, this is not COVID tested negative, but either way, feel like I have that brain fog for a little bit. So just bear with me. He's Mark Kubiak. I'm Greg McElroy. Like, rate, and subscribe. All the same stuff we do. We tell you at the beginning of every show. We don't need to say it again right now. All right, let's just get to the games. Great game plan in store for you today. We're going to break down some of the biggest matchups from the weekend, including the Kansas State victory over Oklahoma, the Texas Tech Red Raiders. They continue to look really good in the process. Are the Vols back? A lot of things that we need to get to. That went down this past weekend. Plus, we'll tip our cap to a couple of great performances. There will there were several, including you, Middle Tennessee. I'm also going to tell you for a Miami Hurricane fan, no need to go find the, the highest cliff. It's going to be okay. I'm going to talk you off the ledge. So without much further ado, let's talk about it. Lions, Tigers, and tailgates. Oh, my. The college football season is always a great time of year. Besides the jerseys, the face paint, and the foam fingers, there's the food, and nothing gets you more fired up for game day than Eckrich smoked sausage. They're naturally hardwood smoked and have the perfect blend of spices. From buffalo sausage dip, sausage, chili, mac, and cheese, Eckrich smoked sausage is a quick way to bring flavor to all your tailgate meals. Visit Eckrich.com for easy, one-of-a-kind sausage recipes. Eckrich, you do you. Football season is here, and nothing beats seeing your favorite team live. Not only does Vivid Seats have great NFL ticket prices, they're also the official ticketing partner of ESPN. And with Vivid Seats rewards, when you buy 10 tickets, you get the 11th free. Download the app or visit VividSeats.com today. Vivid Seats. Life happens live. Receive a reward credit equal to the average price of 10 tickets purchased, excluding taxes, fees, and processing costs. See VividSeats.com slash rewards for terms and conditions. All right, let's get things kicked off with, I guess we would call this an upset, but I guess based on how this team has performed against the other, we should really feel as though this was no surprise whatsoever. Let's start with Kansas State taking the road trip to Norman, Oklahoma, to see if they can knock off one of the top teams in the country, the Oklahoma Sooners, in their house, all right? It all got started in a big way for the Kansas State Wildcats. My goodness, just right down the field, opening drive, touchdown, opening drive, second drive, touchdown. I mean, it was like clockwork, man. And I don't know about y'all, it was feeling pretty much like it was going to be Kansas State's night very early. I mean, Adrian Martinez was decisive. 
went right down the field. Of course, capped it with his own legs. And man, I loved the way over the course of the this game. And now this is really from start to finish too. We're going to talk a little more about Adrian Martinez and his growth and his development because he looks like a different guy. At least last night he did, that's for sure. When he put on the purple and silver, not the same guy he was when he put on the corn husker red and white, okay? We know that he's always been a very talented player, and it came to the forefront last night a couple of major ways, okay? The way he threw the ball over the middle of the field, man. I mean, there were several examples in which he stood in there in a firm passing posture with, in some cases, guys in his face having to negotiate around rushers, unblocked defenders, and yet still being able to get it into fairly tight windows to some of his wide receivers, that was off the charts good. Plus, we knew he could run the ball. That should come as no surprise. He also made the biggest play in the game. Third and 16, late in the game, a gotta-stop situation for Oklahoma. Oklahoma opts to bring five in the pass rush. They overrush the quarterback like they did so many times throughout the course of this game. He somehow finds a little bit of a seam, makes a guy miss, wiggles around, finds his way to the left-hand side, and picks up the first down and more, of course, sliding there inside the 10 wisely before he capped in another touchdown a couple plays later. But my goodness, man, he was awesome. And we have been hard on Adrian Martinez as college football fans, but let's tip our cap. The young man played fantastic last night. He was not to be outdone, okay, because Deuce Vaughn is unfreaking believable all right, I know he's tiny. I, I get it. It just looks odd from time to time. But my goodness, his legs move so much faster than everyone else on the field. And the way he just sets guys up and how sudden he is as he kind of hits that outside set, gets a defender to just jump just a little bit outside and he almost runs almost underneath their arm in order to break a tackle as he surges forward. The guy always seems to be falling forward as well. He's so powerful, even though he's in a very small frame. The compact build allows him to deliver with leverage. And my goodness, he seems to do it over and over and over again. This really was a game of runs. It was really all about Kansas State. First couple drives, it came out, went right down the field. And then Oklahoma, I thought, had a really nice answer. Came out, hit that uh, little corner route to Wheeze. He went up the right sideline. Then you saw a little bit later, first drive or so of the second quarter, they throw it over the top down the left. Mims, beautiful throw and catch there. I thought Gabriel had a solid performance, did miss a couple throws. The biggest example was that fourth down missed throw that he missed in the third quarter to Drake Stoops to the right. Had a little option route, threw it out in front of Drake Stoops, but I thought if he could have been more accurate with that throw, it might have definitely changed the outcome of the game. What does this all mean? It means that Oklahoma is still very good. I'm not going to come away from this game thinking that Oklahoma can do no, you know, they can do nothing moving forward. They're done. They're still very good. We just know that Kansas State has been their kryptonite in the last couple of years. Two, we know that Adrian Martinez can play winning football for you. All right, we know that. All right, we know that. And that we know that that run game at Kansas State is going to neutralize a lot. We know they're going to neutralize an awful lot when they play against high-powered offenses. They can keep your offense off the field, and they did that from time to time throughout the course of last night's game. Three, we know the Oklahoma defense is still a work in progress. Okay, They got gashed time and time again. And I think what was most frustrating is that they kind of allowed things to happen time and time again. Like You knew Adrian Martinez on that third and 16, for example. Like You knew, and I was actually listening to it live, Listening to it live, listening to 
you know, Toby Rowland, all those guys on the Oklahoma Sports Radio Network, I'm listening to them saying, hey, man, you better be smart with how we rush the quarterback here because if we rush the quarterback too aggressively, he's going to squeak out. Well, sure enough, what do they do? Rush the quarterback too aggressively. He squeaks out, gets around the edge, picks up a major conversion. So we know the defense is a work in progress. Here was one thing I didn't know. I think the Oklahoma offense has some things they need to figure out as well. Uh, they committed to the run game early in the third quarter, and that was a nice thing to figure out, but they got to continue to do that, I think, more and more because they're putting a little too much emphasis on the passing game, a little too much emphasis on big plays. They got out of rhythm on Saturday, and it definitely hurt them. I mean, they're sitting there 55 minutes into the game with 20 points. That's not good enough for a Jeff Levy-led offense. And it's not like they were going against the 85 Bears. They're going against good defense, but hardly a great defense there in Kansas State. So those are some big takeaways, all right? What does it mean summing it all up? Kansas State, there's a second straight win against Oklahoma. All right, that's significant. Kansas State is 6-5 and five at Oklahoma, in Norman, Oklahoma, in the last 30 seasons. The only team over the last 30 seasons with a winning record against Oklahoma on the road. That's Kansas State, all right? They also have three wins against Oklahoma since 2019. The rest of the FBS, everyone else combined, has four. So it just goes to show you how much Kansas State has kind of figured out Oklahoma and it's going to be a problem moving forward because Chris Kleiman certainly ain't going anywhere there for the Wildcats. All right, moving on to one of the other big games of the weekend involving top teams, okay? Florida and Tennessee. First big takeaway that I had, isn't it great to have Tennessee back? I'm not suggesting that they're going to win the national championship or anything like that. Like, it's fine. We'll get to all that. They certainly have a few things they need to iron out. There's no doubt about that. But wasn't it cool to see that scene in the pregame where you see the checkered kneeling, the fans are going nuts. You hear Rocky Top blaring over Gary Danielson and Brad Nessler. They're trying to break down the game. All I can hear is Rocky Top. You know, it's really pretty neat. And the fans are into it, and the energy has returned to Knoxville for the first time, it feels like, in a while. So that was really, really exciting. A couple of takeaways in this game as far as where Florida's at. Let's talk about Florida quickly before we move on to Tennessee. I like that they were aggressive early. I thought that they kind of had to be going forward on fourth down, did do some nice things on fourth down to kind of give them a chance, but ultimately they didn't make enough plays on fourth down that opening drive fourth down two. That was one that obviously kind of hurt them. Would have been nice for them to put some points on the board to get a little momentum and to at least reward their offense after a nice drive there early on. Uh, another takeaway, Ventrell Miller is off the charts good. This defense is totally different when he's in the game. I know they gave up a lot of yards and points. Uh, more on that in a little bit. That's more I think about Tennessee, but it's almost rinse and repeat week to week. When you watch Tennessee, they just get a lot of guys open. More on that in a minute. Ventro Miller's off the charts good, man. I mean, he is so, so good for this Florida defense. So it was nice to have him back. He's got to stay healthy the rest of the way. He's got to be available at all times if this defense is going to be anywhere near where it needs to be. He has great instincts, does a great job of communicating, and is always around the football. I mean, it just feels like he's always one of the ones that's going to make a big play uh, and has been really playing his tail off all year long. And then finally for the Florida Gators, Anthony Richardson did so many great things in this game. Look, he'd been beat up and he looked like a shell of himself there in the last two weeks. Did not look confident, did not look comfortable. Well, they got back into it using some design quarterback runs, and I thought he did a really nice job of responding by throwing the football and showing off some accuracy 
that had been missing the last couple of weeks, man. The way he moved in the pocket. I think one of the best examples might have been that touchdown to zipper right down the right-hand side, moved in the pocket, stepped up, jumped, and then threw an absolute seam between two defenders. Zipper ended up catching the ball and then found his way to the front right pylon of the end zone, man. That was an off-the-charge great play, and it felt like that play gave him a lot of juice. That play gave him a lot of energy, and he made some nice touch throws down the field as well. Another part of his game that's kind of been missing. We've seen him deliver some nice, strong throws on line drives, but we have not seen is him putting air underneath the football and allowing receivers to run underneath it. He did that a few times on Saturday. That had been a part of his game that's been missing. He's going to have to bottle that up. He's going to have to do that probably three or four times a game if this offense is going to continue excuse me, if this offense is going to continue to take flight. So I thought they did a really a lot of good things in this game, and I thought he took a step forward. Now, the fumble by Richardson in the red zone was significant, and that was the one area of his game I'm sure he really would like to clean up. But for the most part, if we're going to grade the entire performance, uh, it was a really solid performance, a good bounce-back performance from Anthony Richardson. Let's go now to Tennessee. All right, they're the team we want to talk about. They're the team that won the game. Uh, I thought it was a great response. There were several different occasions in which Florida looked like they were going to steal a little momentum and then Tennessee would respond. And I thought that showed a lot of maturity because ultimately every time Florida, Florida was playing with house money in the game, man, like what they have to lose. Hey, let's go throw our best punch at Tennessee. Like they're the team who hasn't beaten us since, you know, 16 of the last 17 years. They're the team with all the expectations. They're the team that's finally breaking through. So all the pressure is going to be on the Tennessee sideline. Well, I thought they handled that pressure really nicely. Now, they were far from flawless in the game. But I thought that what I saw, we knew they had great playmakers. And to do so without your best playmaker and Cedric Tillman even takes it a step further with just how impressed I was with the volunteers, but I thought guys stepped up in his absence. I thought Ramel Keaton had an off the charts game. That catch at the end of the half was just ridiculous. I mean, full layout down the right hand side. And then of course that was a huge touchdown drive there before the half. And then they doubled it up by opening the second half by going right down the field, finding Jabari small on the left flat, him going up the left sideline on the second and goal. There, where it was kind of behind, they kind of they didn't blow a coverage, but they definitely gave Jabari Small way too much space. He was able to take it up. So a really nice job there by Tennessee there at the end of half and the start of the third quarter. It's amazing to me. Here's another takeaway for Tennessee. It's amazing to me how many times you see guys for Tennessee that are just running wide open. Why? Why is that? I mean, I, teams and people will say, well, teams bust coverages. Yeah, Tennessee forces you to bust coverages. All the freaking time. Nobody busts more coverages than teams that are playing against Tennessee. Why? Because of the tempo that they use, because the leverage that they create, because of the misdirection and eye violations they force you into. They're able to get guys running. And next thing you know, the ball is down the field and caught before the defense even realizes what's going on. It's really awesome to watch. I mean, they just force you into so many mistakes, man. And they always seem to take advantage of that. That's, I think, Really significant. And then Hendon Hooker, finally. This guy's on the short list for one of the best players in America. I don't care what anyone says. We know he could throw the ball with great accuracy. No, we've taken significant strides in that part of his game. But what I've forgotten is just how good of a runner he is. I mean, this guy is a really good football 
player with the ball in his hands. Obviously, early in his career at Virginia Tech, that's what he was. He was more of a runner than he was a downfield thrower. And then he kind of developed and became more of a thrower last year, but the run game has not gotten away from him. He became the third quarterback in Tennessee history to have multiple 100-yard rushing games. And I thought he did so beautifully this past week. The run around the left-hand side, a thing of beauty, right there and, and i just think we we just it's so easy to become enamored with the downfield passing attack and he does that amazingly well but the rushing ability too that the multi-dimensional aspects that he brings to this offense takes it to a whole new level so i think this team's really good i think they're legit the october we're going to find out a lot about them they got some tough games coming up obviously games against lsu a game against alabama down the stretch some other tough games that are coming up on the schedule as well but I'm very optimistic with what I've seen in the first month of the season from the Tennessee Volunteers. It's their first 4-0 start since 2016. It's their first win against Florida since 2016. And it's their most points in the game against Florida over the last 30 years. They scored 38. Remember, they did so without their best weapon, Cedric Tillman. So an incredible performance, I think, from Tennessee, even in spite of some adversity. It was far from flawless, but man, it was good enough to get the job done uh, against a quality quality opponent, I think, in Florida Gators. Every college football season, Goodyear knows the importance of winning on the road. The road will always demand confidence, the confidence to handle whatever the journey brings and to perform under tough conditions. And just like the players and the fans of college football, Goodyear is ready. Are you ready for the road? Visit Goodyear.com to find the right Goodyear tires for whatever road you're on this season. Goodyear, more driven. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jet's signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jet's Pizza. Better because it has to be. All right, moving along to the Lone Star State where there was an amazing, amazing upset of the Texas Longhorns. If you did not see the post-game locker room celebration from Texas Tech, well, take a look. I ask you to keep fighting. You did. Said it's going to be when we came out of half. We had two more rounds to fight, and you did. I told you they were going to break, and they did. I told you they were going to break, and did. The reporter asked me at the end. Says, "What's it mean to win this game and beat Texas?" I said, "Doesn't mean anything. Beat Texas. We're one and zero in the Big 12. That's what it means. I'm telling y'all. I'm telling y'all right now. The country's going to find out. Everything runs through Lubbock. Everything runs through Lubbock. Hey, we're the team to beat if we keep practicing to get better. If we keep practicing to be better players. If we keep playing and fighting for each other. And no matter what happens, we just say, what's next? That's all we do. Because at any point in that game, you could have quit. But you didn't. Because you are built different. And the more and more you believe that, the more and more this happens. Somebody turn on some damn music! Yeah! Yeah! 
Well, that was awesome there from head coach of the Texas Tech Red Raiders, Joey McGuire, man. I love it. I don't know if I necessarily agree with him that everything runs through Lubbock, Texas, uh, but I do appreciate very much that that's the message to the players after an amazing game. And this was a gutsy win from Texas Tech, too, man. If you look at it, it felt like there were at least two, maybe three different occasions where it felt like Texas was going to start to pull away. Kind of like when, you know, B. John Robinson went down the right sideline to give Texas a 31-17 lead. It just felt like at that point it might just be a little bit too much to overcome, but Texas Tech kept fighting. I thought Hudson Card did some nice things. I also think that Texas was kind of their own worst enemy. There were several different occasions in the game in which they made key mistakes, but you have to give credit to Texas Tech for taking advantage of those mistakes. One of those key mistakes was about 13 minutes left in the second quarter. Free plays third and 26. I think this kind of summed up the day for the Texas Longhorns. Third and 26. Free play because Texas jumps off sides. Well, Donovan Smith goes and throws one up to the left-hand side. Pass interference. Third and 26 to now a first and 10 in Longhorn territory for the Red Raiders. It just felt like they continued to chip away, and they deserve remarkable credit for that. Of course, Texas's fumble there in overtime as well by Bijan Robinson. Not something you would expect, but my goodness. Let's give credit to Donovan Smith. He was terrific. Made a lot of great plays. Kind of avoided the critical mistake, too. Thought there were a couple of moments, too, where he, man, I mean, in the second half of that football game, I mean, he was dialed in. I mean, there were even some incompletions, like that ball in the front left pylon of the end zone where he just put it right on the receiver where he was moving to his right. I think that ball should have been caught, man. Even some of the incompletions were unbelievably good throws. He threw for 331, two passing touchdowns, had 42 rushing yards and a rushing touchdown. It's his third straight game with a passing and a rushing touchdown. That's the longest streak by a Texas Tech player since Pat Mahomes back in 2016. And we also want to give a little credit to Miles Price too, man. He's clearly become the go-to alpha dog wide receiver. 13 receptions, 98 yards. It's the most receptions by a Texas Tech player since Antoine Wesley back in 2018. So they took great advantage of, I think, some of the mistakes that Texas allowed them to. This was significant, man. Texas Tech's their first win over a ranked Texas team since 2008, you all remember that one, Crabtree and Graham Harrell down the right sideline. That was an incredible scene there in Lubbock, Texas as well. That was, uh, I believe Texas was number one when that game went down. Texas Tech conversely was number six. So the first time they've beaten a ranked team since that game. Texas Tech now is 2-0 and in overtime games this year. Remember, they beat Houston in overtime just a couple weeks ago. They're the first FBS team this season to have multiple Overtime wins, the third time in program history where they've had multiple overtime wins as well. That was in 2006 and 2012. They had overtime wins as well. So Texas is their fifth loss since the start of last season in which they led in the fourth quarter. That's tied with Nebraska. That's right, Nebraska for the most fourth quarter blown leads in the FBS. So they have to figure out how to finish games. It's not going to get any easier for the Texas Longhorns. Let's move to a ranked matchup that did not disappoint. The Clemson Tigers and the Wake Forest Demon Deacons. You know I love quarterback play. This was the game for you if you loved it this past Saturday. DJ Uyunglele and Sam Hartman both played their hearts out. Let's start with DJ Uyunglele since he was the victor. He was fantastic, man. 
difficult throws, guys draped all over him, still being strong enough to drive the ball, even when there were some times there were guys looked as though they were in his grasp. Also, man, the touch passes down the field were off the charts good. I also love, too, very much how he continued to feed his tight ends throughout the course of the game. It was clear that Clemson had a fairly significant advantage in regards to their length at tight end, working against the smaller, undersized second-level defenders and third-level defenders for Wake Forest. So they just kept, where's 84? Boom, hit him. Where's nine? Boom, hit him. They did a great job of continuing to feed the length that they have at tight end. It's been a while now since it feels like Clemson has really utilized the tight end position in the passing game. Well, DJ Uyunglele certainly made sure that that was no longer going to be something that they avoided when they turned to the air. Will Shipley was great, as always. He's always really, really good. So very, very impressed with what we saw from Clemson. Some things to iron out defensively. But man, the more you look at it, you're going to say, well, look at the points given up. Get that. Understand that. Also understand, too, that the throws that Sam Hartman was making throughout the course of this game, not a lot of quarterbacks are going to repeat those throws time in, time out throughout the course of a game either. And Sam Hartman on his touchdown passes, and if you go back and look at all of them, look at every single touchdown pass that Sam Hartman had to throw with the exception of the throw in overtime, the one over the middle where the wide receiver was wide open. That one was like, you know, he could have thrown that one left-handed. He could have punted it to that guy. He was wide open. All right. That was a breeze. But if you look at the rest of the throws that he had to deliver down the left sideline, back shoulders, tight coverage inside, making sure that they wall off the defender on the first touchdown of the game, right there, walling off the defender. And man, he was just off the charts. Good. I mean, I don't know what else to tell you, man. That was as accurate a performance as I've seen from a quarterback this year. And I don't, I'm not, not, no, not sure necessarily about statistically any of that stuff. I don't care. about. It might not be the highest completion percentage by any quarterback this year. But if you actually look at the next level accuracy, where this is a good throw, this is a bad throw. Even though it might be completed, the areas that he was throwing and the way he was throwing receivers open it might have been the performance of the year up to this point from an accuracy standpoint. Man, he deserves so much credit for the effort that he put forth. I also think his wide receivers deserve a ton of credit as well. I mean, it was, I mean, Jamal Banks, we all know that that Perry is off the charts good. I mean, this is a really quality group of wide receivers on the perimeter. They have great length, they have great speed, and they know how to make contested catches awesome group and a great performance. If anything, I actually came away from this performance having more respect for Wake Forest than I had going into the performance. What does that tell you? You know I like Clemson. You know I like their offense. I think DJ now deserves a ton of credit because we've been hard on him. And I feel like our criticism of DJ has been fair. He has answered every critic. No longer does he need to be looking in his rearview mirror thinking about Kate Klubnik or any of the other things going on at Clemson offensively. Their offense was awesome on Saturday. They're the reason why they won the game. But if there's one thing I can... There's sometimes there are games where you come away from both, from the game feeling good about both teams. That's exactly how I felt about this game. Both teams were awesome. Both teams have a chance to make a lot of noise. Both teams need to continue to press on because it doesn't get much easier, especially for Clemson, as they'll take on NC State next weekend. 
Let's talk and kind of sum it up about some of the things statistically, some of the numbers statistically. Uh, Sam Hartman was 20 of 29 for 337 and six passing touchdowns. He set the school single game record and matched an ACC single game record. Also, tied for the most passing touchdowns by any quarterback against Clemson. Pretty dang impressive. The other thing too, Hartman, every single touchdown that he threw came against pressure, came against the blitz. That's the most passing touchdowns against the blitz in the game by a power five quarterback since ESPN started tracking the information more than 10 years ago. So Sam Hartman, what a performance from him. Uh, Other numbers of significance, DJ Uyunglele, 371 passing yards to go with five touchdowns. Uh, he'd never thrown more than two touchdown passes in a game prior to today. So uh, prior to yesterday, excuse me, or Saturday, whatever it was. Uh, so he's the first Clemson player with 350 passing yards and 50 rushing yards in the game since Deshaun Watson back in 2016 against Florida State. So an incredible quarterback performance for both Sam Hartman and for DJ Uyunglele. As far as Clemson's concerned, they're now 14-0 against Wake Forest since Dabo Sweeney took over. They extend their winning streak to 10 consecutive games. It's the longest active winning streak in the FBS. It's their third time scoring 50-plus points against an AP-ranked matchup since the poll era began back in 1936. The others came back in 2019 against Virginia when they scored 62 points. And then back in 1983, and who doesn't remember this game, against number 11, Maryland, when they scored 52 points. Wake Forest has now lost 63 consecutive games against AP top 10 teams. It's the longest streak in the poll era. And the Demon Deacons' only win over an AP top 10 team came back in 1946 when they beat the Tennessee Volunteers. Uh, You know how I just told you that you can watch a game One team wins, one team loses, but you actually come away from the game feeling fairly positive about both. Well, here's the opposite on this one. Texas A&M and Arkansas. I can come away from this game not feeling as good about either team (laughs) based on what I saw this past weekend. Doesn't mean they can't still win a lot of games, but that was a cacophony of errors on Saturday night when these two teams were teeing it up. Got to give credit where credit is due. Texas A&M weathered the storm. It felt like the game was going to get away from them late, early, excuse me. It felt like Arkansas was the more motivated team. They were the more focused team. They were the more physical team. It felt like all of that. Plus, in the first quarter of that football game, Texas A&M could not get out of their own way. And then finally, they get the worst field position of the day. Worst field position by a mile. They're backed up on their own six-yard line. Well, they handed it to Devon A. Chain. Next thing you know, Arkansas has two guys in one gap on the left-hand side. A-Chain's out the left-hand side, and he's out the gate, man. We know what happens when you get A-Chain out in the open field. He has unbelievable speed, unbelievable quickness, and it's just a matter of time throughout the course of a game before he gets a chance to find a seam, and he found one over and over and over again against the Arkansas Razorbacks. It was the best performance of his career. He had 159 rushing yards, a touchdown, and 123 of his rushing yards came before contact. That's also a career high. So credit to the offensive line as well, but also credit to A-Chain finding that space and getting out on the edge and not getting touched. Because if you allow him to get momentum, it's a wrap. He's going to beat you up. But the big part of this game really flipped on its head 
when KJ Jefferson going on a quarterback power is reaching and extending, trying to get over the pylon. Next thing you know, the ball is jarred loose by an AM linebacker. It's picked up by Tyreek Chappelle, and he runs it around to the left-hand side. He gets held up there by Rocket Sanders, about to make the tackle. Everyone thinks the play is over. Huge play nonetheless. AM has the ball on the 30-yard line. Great play by the AM defense. Well, a great play becomes an incredible play when Chappelle hands it over to Damani Richardson in a handoff. And then Damani Richardson goes around the left sideline. Jimbo Fisher couldn't figure out what was going on. Nobody could figure out what was going on. But what a heads-up play by Tariq Chappelle to be able to create that opportunity and the defense basically having a 21-7 score erased and turning it into a 14-13 ball game. Of course, they mixed the extra point a couple minutes later. But either way, it was an insane turn of events and one that Arkansas had to be kicking themselves for, but one that AM deserves incredible, incredible love for. That was great heads up play there by the AM defense. KJ Jefferson, after that moment, kind of went into a slump. The team really in and of itself kind of went into a slump. It felt like AM kind of churned away at it. Of course, they started to open up a little bit more of a lead, got a nine-point lead, started to pull away a little bit. Arkansas did a good job of getting back in the game and making it competitive, cutting it to a 23-21 ball game. And then, of course, at the very end, Arkansas finally found their form offensively, got down the field, set up for the game-winning field goal, and their kicker doinks it off the right upright, leading to what was one of the more deflating moments that you could tell we were on the booth is on the Arkansas sideline and you saw the entire sideline just completely deflate. So it was really a game that was full of errors. A&M made them all in the first quarter and A&M made them all really a decent amount of them. And they're in the first half of the second quarter. And then Arkansas made a ton of mistakes for about two quarters from about the middle of the second until about the really the middle of the fourth. And then AM played great in that stretch. And then Arkansas played great. AM played terrible. And then ultimately, Arkansas made another big mistake by missing the field goal. It was really all about errors. <laughs> That's kind of been the story of AM season. However, they have weathered the storm. That's AM's third straight win over a top 10 opponent. They beat number four Florida back in 2020, they beat Alabama in 2021. That's the longest streak. In the FBS, the other team that has won three straight against top 10 ranked teams, that would be the Baylor Bears. Both teams have won three consecutive games against top 10 competition. AM trailed 14 0, like I alluded to in the first quarter. So their comeback is the largest comeback against an SEC opponent since 2017. That was also against Arkansas when they trailed by 14 there in AT&T Stadium. So a crazy wild game, but one that shouldn't really surprise us because it's AM and Arkansas, and that game always seems to be chaotic. No, no I'm, all, I'm all Middle Tennessee, but I can promise you my phone's blowed up with text and whatever from my Florida State pals. I had a couple of my former teammates here tonight, you know, watching the game and, you know, a bunch of my former teammates and all that uh, – text me before the game, good luck and kick their tail and all that kind of stuff. And uh, so I know, I know Tallahassee, uh, you know, I know they're pretty excited about, you know, the mighty blue Raiders kicking these hurricanes tail because we kicked their tail and I ain't afraid to say it. All right. It's the second time now that you've heard the audio 
from the Middle Tennessee State uh, Blue Raiders. Awesome, man. Great performance. I want to give you a ton of credit. That was all about you. You completely took it to Miami. 99-yard touchdowns, goal line stands, you name it. Just an awesome, awesome job there by Middle Tennessee State. As far as Miami's concerned, don't jump off the cliff just yet, all right? We have seen this so many different times over the course of college football history. I'm not suggesting you need to feel good about what transpired yesterday, all right? I'm not. But we just had this discussion a couple weeks ago about Notre Dame. All right, when there is transition, all right, and there's transition going on right now at Miami, people say, well, it's transition for the better. Great, I'm, that's fine. There's still transition, okay? There's some guys that were recruited by the previous regime that are probably having a difficult time buying in. It's just the way it is. I went through it at Alabama, all right? From Mike Shula to Nick Saban, the transition was significant. And even though all of us loved the fact that Nick Saban was our head coach, there were some seniors on the roster there in 2007 that weren't that thrilled about having to change how they do things and get in line to a new way of thinking. All right. There was a little bit of traction there, a little bit of tension there every once in a while between the old heads and the young heads, the new staff and the old staff. So it's not that unique. Understand this. That year in 2007, we at Alabama lost to Louisiana Monroe. We also lost our last four games to finish six and six on the season. All right. Bad performances are not indicative of future results. This is okay. What becomes problematic is when these performances happen in year three, year four, and year five. They can happen in year one. Don't sweat it. Just understand that these things cannot happen here in the years to come. All right. That's it. As far as my conversation about Miami is concerned, hang in there. Don't panic just yet. You still have the right guy. And don't listen to the low-hanging fruit nonsense about Mario Cristobal not knowing what he's doing. He didn't take stupid pills overnight. He's going to get things going over there. It just might take a little bit longer than you originally thought. Let's give our little, little golf clap to a few different teams this weekend. I want to give a shout out to the Baylor Bears fifth straight win in a Big 12 conference opener. They are 9 and 1 in their last Big 12 conference openers. They also had a couple of great defensive takeaways. Uh, Blake Shapen did a pretty good job. Three passing touchdowns, career high passing touchdowns. Uh, of course, matching last year's Big 12 championship games. So want to give a shout out to Baylor. I did not think you'd win, uh, but I think that you did a great job going on the road, being ready to play against a quality Iowa State football team. I also say the officiating in that game, hot garbage. All right, get that thing figured out, Big 12, because that was embarrassing. All right, the Ohio State Buckeyes. All right, tremendous performance going up against a quality quality defensive football team. It didn't matter. Travion Henderson, Mayan Williams, both going for over 100 yards. Uh, just really amazing. I mean, we all know that the passing attack is going to be off the charts good, but to now have two backs, and I know Travion Henderson is going to be good, but the emergence of Mayan Williams, I think, has been a really nice thing. He's a physical runner. He's a tone-setting runner. And he's the type of back you want in the backfield there in the third and fourth quarters when you're trying to churn out hard yardage and land body blows against the competition. The USC Trojans hung on. They're 4-0 for the first time since 2020. First time with a perfect record through September since 2010. Think about that. It's pretty wild. It's been a while since they were undefeated in September. The two-minute drive was a thing of beauty. 
It was a great second effort there on the fourth and six. Great job by the USC offensive line pushing Caleb Williams uh, uh, over the line to gain there at midfield there on the two-minute drive because it looked like he was going to be short, but the USC offensive line would not be denied. They were the real saviors there on a critical down and distance. Also want to give some credit to Oregon State. Thought they had a good plan, but you can't turn the football over that much and expect to be successful against a quality team. Forced four interceptions, few that were really, really ugly there by Chance Nolan, but that's kind of what we've come to expect for USC. They have forced 11 interceptions on defense this year. That's the most by a Pac-12 team through its first four games of the season since Oregon State 20 years ago. They've recorded 14 takeaways, and they've only had zero, that's right, zero turnovers. So the plus 14 turnover margin is tar- tied for the highest by an FBS school in their first four games of the season over the last 15 years. So this team is an unprecedented tear as far as turning people over and not turning it over themselves. However, that was a sloppy and hideous performance by the passing game. They need to be a whole heck of a lot better moving forward as the competition gets a little sharper as well. On to Oregon who had one of the craziest fourth quarters I think I've ever seen in my entire life. They obviously trailed 27-15 entering the fourth quarter. It's the first time overcoming a double-digit deficit entering a fourth quarter since 2004. That was against Washington State. It had been 38 straight games where they had lost in such deficits. So it's a huge fourth quarter deficit overcome for the first time in 18 years. Bo Nix was awesome. Threw for 428 and three touchdowns. First Oregon quarterback with 400 passing yards and three passing touchdowns in the game since Justin Herbert six years ago against Arizona State. It's their 11th straight win as a ranked team against an unranked Washington State team. So very, very impressive performance there by Oregon. The 29 points in the fourth quarter, the most in a fourth quarter over the last 20 seasons. So really impressive fourth quarter there by the Oregon Ducks. If they could just get a little better start, that'd be helpful. Cam Ward was awesome as well. Did have a couple picks, but either way, gave him a chance. And then finally, the Michigan Wolverines, the first time they've really been challenged. And I like this Maryland team that they went up against. Now, Maryland, the doink off the face mask on the opening kickoffs, one that you'd like to have back. But for the most part, it was a beautiful game by Blake Corum, who was untouchable. 30 carries, 243, and two touchdowns. The most rushing yards by a Michigan player since Denard Robinson in 2010. That was against Notre Dame. He went for 258 that day. So Corum continues to be worth the price of admission. I thought McCarthy did some nice things. Still occasionally looks a little bit erratic. Still occasionally I wish he wouldn't take so many hits and so many risks inside the pocket. But either way, man, still very accurate. Continues to push the ball downfield and be accurate when doing so. Talia Tungavaloa did some nice things, did have a couple interceptions. Uh, The one where he missed it low and the guy undercut it, not a good throw, not a good decision, but also did do some crafty things that kept plays and drives alive. So I think this Maryland team will win a lot of football games. They're going to win a lot of football games this year. I really believe that. But it's their 19th straight loss against an AP top 10 opponent. That's the longest streak in the program's history. So they're due. They're due. Just didn't happen this past week, but they will get one here soon enough. So credit to Michigan. It's nice to see them finally play against quality competition. So hopefully they can play a little cleaner game here the next time around. All right. Now it's time for a typical Monday segment. Coops, kick it off with some low-hanging fruit. All right. We'll start off low-hanging fruit. North Carolina has a defensive coordinator problem. Low-hanging fruit (laughs) or truth? 
North Carolina's a defensive problem. <laughs> I don't know why we're, I don't know. I'm pretty sure it's a different coordinator than last year, and yet they still have issues. Okay. So maybe it's beyond the coordinator. And look, Gene Chizik is a close personal friend of mine. I'm not advocating for what's going on right now on the field. Uh, and I know most Notre Dame fans would be like, man, I wish we could play North Carolina every week. That was the offense I'd like to see. Um, but unfortunately, that's not in the cards. North Carolina's offense continues to be fantastic, but defensively, they certainly have their issues. But hey, man, this is kind of what happens. Like when you empower the offense and you put a lot of eggs in this basket and you take a lot of eggs away from your defensive basket, well, it's like that. A football team's like a scale. And when you're great on offense, it's not often that you're going to be great on defense. So if your defense is great, your offense is probably not going to be as good. De Football teams are like a scale in a lot of ways. So if you are continually empowering one side of the ball, it might become a deficit to the other side of the ball. So I hate what's happening at North Carolina defensively because my friend's involved. But no, they definitely have major issues. I just think it's beyond the actual person calling the plays. I think it's from an identity standpoint. I don't think it's something to get easily fixed overnight. All right. Moving on. Low-hanging fruit or truth? The Big 12 is the most balanced of the Power Five conferences. Truth. Well, we've been saying that. Uh, we've said that, I believe, Coobs. Now, we can go back and check uh, way back in the in the July episodes and the August episodes. We were telling you that I believe there are eight teams in the Big 12 that might be able to win it. And that there would be the deepest league in college football. Now, that is also because we didn't believe that the top of the Big 12 there was going to be a runaway. It wasn't like, for instance, the Big Ten, where it's Ohio State and a wide gap and then everybody else. No, in the Big 12, it felt like one could lose to eight and didn't really matter who one was or who eight was. It just felt like the group was much, much closer together. I think it's the deepest league. I, I believe that. Um, now, that is a problem when trying to evaluate possible playoff contenders, but who cares about that at this point? But it's a great thing when you're thinking about having competitive outcomes and shocking outcomes and great matchups and great games on a week-to-week -week basis. So yes, the Big 12 this year is probably the most entertaining league, and it might also lead to the most chaotic results. So uh, bad for their playoff candidacy, but awesome for our week-to-week -week consumption. It'll be interesting to see how that levels out. You know, probably going to have a two-loss conference champion. We'll see how that uh, might be three. Like <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, right, nothing right. would surprise me at this point. All right, last one here: low-hanging fruit or truth? The upsets through the first four weeks have made college football better. Truth: the best part about college football is the rivalries. That's the number one. All right, no, no doubt about it. Rivalry games are the best part about our game. The second best part of our game is the unknown nature and the what if that you have every single Saturday. Just what if? No doubt. Like you don't know what's going to happen. Like, yes, there are some teams in which there's very little drama on a week to week basis. Like, I don't roll into an Ohio State game thinking, well, you know, I think you roll up to an Ohio State game, and I wonder if it'll be close today. 
You know, <laughs> you don't wonder if they're actually going to lose the game. There might be three or four occasions on a regular season schedule where they might have a chance if they play horribly to have a close game. Same can be said for Alabama. Same can be said for Georgia. But outside of those three, anyone can get anyone. And that's the beauty of the transfer portal because, yes, while guys are transferring up, there's also guys transferring down. And you see teams like Appalachian State. You see teams like Middle Tennessee. You see teams like Miami, Ohio. You see teams like Marshall. You, you see teams like that pulling off remarkable upsets. So yes, without question, this has been a phenomenal season. It's not going to change. It's not going away. And the upsets will continue to be one of the most exciting parts of our game. All right, we're so thrilled to be joined now by the quarterback of the Ohio Bobcats after what was a thrilling back and forth game yesterday. He's Curtis Rourke. Curtis, congrats on an unbelievable performance, my friend. Thank you. Thank you very much. It's funny because I, I see this, that last name Rourke just on the back of an Ohio jersey, and it's like, well, how many more Rourkes are coming? Like, are you the last in the line here of I great am. quarterbacks that are going to be there for the for the Bobcat family? Yeah, unfortunately, no, I'm the last one. I'm the youngest. Uh, so no well, more the good news is after COVID, I mean, you can have like 12 years eligibility left, right? So you can just play forever. Yeah, the COVID, COVID really helped out a bunch. Uh, I got, I mean, two <laughs> years after this year. So it's, it's helped a bunch. That's awesome, man. Right, what was going through your mind yesterday? I mean, you guys get off to a great start. Then the second and third quarters, it was kind of a seesaw battle. And then there in the end, you guys pull away a little bit, but you set some records along the way. So I guess, how'd you feel yesterday? Clearly looked the, like it was, it was coming off your hand really nicely. Yeah. Um, we knew going in there, they're an explosive offense and that, uh, we were going to have to score a lot ourselves. Um, and we have the weapons in, in the offense to do so. And so, uh, we were pretty confident that we could, we go down and score uh, no matter what defense they played. Um, um, and every time they scored, we, we just had to answer back, uh, to the best we could. And, and, uh, it was kind of a shootout. So it was a lot of fun, especially since we won. No, it's amazing. Have you ever thrown for 537 yards in a game before? I was I was actually thinking about that uh, after the game, but um, I don't think so. Uh, I think even going back all the way to the my younger days, I, I don't think I've ever reached 500. So that was a, quite a milestone. It's amazing when you have two quarterbacks in one game. And I don't know if you saw what their quarterback threw for, but he threw for 503. When you throw for 503 and you're the second best quarterback on the field, that's saying something. That's, that's called that's called a duel, man. That was like a Peyton Manning versus Tom Brady type of duel back in the day. Yeah, that, uh, the quarterback, Tim, he's, uh, he's, he's a good quarterback. And uh, he's going to be successful for a while. And so uh, just being able to go back and forth with him is, is an honor for sure. No, I can imagine so. I, I know that this is a proud program. You guys have had great success, great history. The conference that you play in is what I, I think it's a tremendous league. I really do. All over the place. You see Miami, Ohio having some great wins. You've seen some other teams. Northern Illinois has had some great wins over the last few weeks. You guys, of course, maybe not the last couple of weeks against Power 5 competition, but still, I mean, you guys have had great wins in your past. So what can you say currently about the state of the MAC? and the quality of competition that you guys will see from this point forward. Yeah, um, the MAC brings a lot of talent. Uh, I think it's it's often overlooked because we're not a Power 5 team, but we got a lot of uh, great athletes as a, as a conference. 
Um, and we got that mentality that we can play with with any team. And um, as you can see, just the way we schedule our our games, uh, both both us, but just around the MAC as well, is we we try to go out and, and take out the big guys. Um, and so um, I think that's a test to um, the confidence we have in, in our teams and ourselves. Um, and so uh, you know we got I think we got a good amount of upsets this week, um, as well as just in the last couple of weeks. And so. Um, just proud to be part of the Mac and getting ready for Maction to start this week. I can imagine that uh, the Maction will be awesome. I especially like when you guys play on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Personally, it it covers up the hole in my life that exists on Tuesdays and Wednesdays. So we appreciate you guys filling that void for us. You like the Tuesday game? Yeah, it's it's definitely interesting. Never never experienced that ever before coming here. Um, but it's it's one of those things where you go to class all all day and then. Uh, you have a game that day, and it's 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 something that's you know you never never get, but um, it's a lot of fun. It's nationally televised. Um, a lot of people you get a lot of exposure, and and that's a lot of that's what a lot of guys you know like to see. No, I love it. You're from Canada now, right? So yes. did you grow up playing Canadian rules football, or did you play up growing American rules football? Yeah, uh, I played full Canadian rules um, all the way up until I got here. Um, so it was kind of just a little, really? little bit. So, so your first experience of playing American football, hey, you got four downs to go 10 yards. Yeah. That Your first experience with that was actually at the college level? Yeah, playing actually. Yeah, I watched NFL obviously growing up and stuff, but it was it was funny coming here and going to the first meeting and going through basic, uh, what is basic cover three? And it was a whole <laughs> new thing for me because I just, there was one <laughs> less guy and it was just different spots and holes and terminology and all of that. So uh, it was definitely, definitely a new experience. Have there ever been a moment and tell me this, because I've always thought this was fascinating because I feel like if I were in Canada, uh, I feel like I would, I would have third down and I would still look at the sideline on like a short yard. It's like, all right, we came up a yard short and I'm looking over there on fourth down, but I'm like, Oh, hang on a second. It's their ball. Wait, hey, that would throw me off. Like, did you ever, uh, on second down, run off the field because you guys didn't get the first down. Uh, my first spring, um, it was there were some moments where I was I was just not sure with the rules fully. I just forgot about it because I've always played with those Canadian rules. Um, but uh, my coaches and, and teammates kind of helped me out. My brother was was here at the time, so he was also like, "Let's make sure you know it's American rules." So. That's amazing, man. Well, congrats on amazing performance. Great win uh, against the formerly undefeated uh, Fordham Rams. It was a great W yesterday. 41 of 50 for 537. Uh, you can save that football, buddy. Paint it and put it on the wall. That's, yeah. that's a good one. <laughs> yeah, that was. Uh, I, I didn't know I threw the ball that many times, I'll be honest. Um, it's a, it might be a new career, career high, too, in, in attempts for sure. And completions, honestly. So it was just a lot of fun. I mean, I'm glad we glad we won, and the and the teams seems ecstatic. Uh, just making sure we get back to, to full health. We had a couple banged up yesterday. Yeah. Well, I know Athens was going wild last night. True. <laughs> just a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> Athens is known. They're known to put on a party. Is that true? Yeah, we we're known we're known for to, to host some good stuff and and have some uh, some fun parties, <laughs> even when uh, it might not seem like uh it's party worthy but uh we live up to the hype sure 
Yeah, I've been I've been told Hawaii uh, Halloween is is uh, well worth the trip to Athens at some point. I've heard that that's one of the bigger parties of the year. So uh, be on your best behavior at the end of this month. All right. Sounds good. We'll, we'll do. All right, man. Congratulations. Congrats on a great win, and good luck starting Maction next week. Appreciate it. Thank you very much. Hey, thanks for being with us. Great to be back with you here on a Monday. It is awesome to talk college football. We'll do it all week. And we're going to have great guests along the way. Dino Babers scheduled to join the show later this week. How about the Syracuse Orange? They're rocking and rolling. So we'll talk a little bit about them a little, little later in the week as well for all of our friends that are in the uh, you know broadcasting world. Yeah, we're going to talk a little Syracuse, all right? Another you know God's gift to broadcasting school. I get that. But we're going to talk a little Syracuse football. All right, so we're going to talk a little bit about that. We appreciate you being with us. Please like, rate, and subscribe. It's awesome. We appreciate the interaction. It helps us out. It helps the show out. Hit us up on our social media at alwayscfb. Hit us up in our email at alwayscollegefootball at gmail.com. We really, really appreciate it. Thanks so much for being with us. For all of us here at Always College Football, he's Mark Kubiak. I'm Greg McElroy. We hope you have a wonderful day. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Because remember, it's always college football. Hey guys, it's Greg McElroy. Thanks for watching Always College Football. Make sure you like, rate, and subscribe to ESPN's YouTube channel and wherever you listen to your podcasts.